In this episode, you will learn about utilizing time series databases for storing industrial IoT data. In particular, we discuss the InfluxDB time series database platform. We talk about why time series databases matter for IoT. We talk about how to plan your IoT data architecture, InfluxDB deployment options, and how to acquire industrial data into an InfluxDB time series database. My guest on this episode is Brian Gilmore. Brian is the Director of Product Management for IoT at Influx Data, the company behind the InfluxDB time series database platform. He was previously the Chief Technology Advocate and Director of IoT Strategy at Splunk, and he's also worked as the Program Manager of Enterprise Intelligence for Automation and Control Solutions at McKinney's Inc. Quick thank you to our sponsors. This episode is made possible by HiveMQ, the providers of an enterprise-grade edge and cloud-based MQTT broker, and Opto22, manufacturers of reliable industrial controllers for automation and IIoT applications. So please do check them out to help support this podcast. Welcome to the fourth generation podcast here on Industry 4.0.tv, which is a series of weekly interviews designed to help you learn industrial IoT from some of the world's leading practitioners. So make sure to subscribe and click on the notification bell to make sure that you never miss any of the interviews. If you find this conversation interesting, please review it with five stars on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, and connect with me on LinkedIn at Kudzai Manditereza. Now, here's my conversation with Brian. Okay, uh, Brian, thank you so much for joining us on the Fourth Generation Podcast. I would like to welcome you to the show. Thank you. Honored, glad to be here. It's, uh, it's awesome to be talking to you. Great stuff. So uh, today I, I want to talk to you about uh, time series databases for IIoT and uh, in sure. particular, the InfluxDB database platform. Yeah, sure. So maybe to set the stage here, uh, Brian, uh, you know, we talk a lot about IoT data being generated from uh, industrial machines and sensors. So what I would like to find out from you is what would you say are the core characteristics of, of such kind of data? Sure, sure. So, I mean, I think all time series data is sort of defined by, of course, the fact that it has a timestamp, which uh, I think that's pretty, pretty universal knowledge. Um, you know, and then I like to think of the, the data object as sort of the payload, right? So it could be a message or could be a piece of telemetry or, you know, a reading from a sensor or from a variable or whatever. Um, you know, and I think the, the aspects or the things that make time series data interesting and important is that, you know, they're all sort of individual timestamp streams, but together they make up like a really high definition, um, you know, model or image of operations. So whether those operations are IT operations or security operations or industrial manufacturing, oil field operations, having all of that information streamed and stored in a way that, you know, you can piece it all back together based on that construct of time um, is, is, is really what gets me excited about it. And I think what, where, you know, others innovating in the space are, are seeing opportunity as well. Oh, okay. Awesome. Now, having said that, uh, uh, could you please, uh, first of all, uh, define to us what a time series database is and, and then maybe explain to us why time series databases uh, matter for, for, for storing industrial IoT data. 
Sure, sure. Well, I mean, I think if you, for, for the industry 4.0 folks out there, I mean, I think if you're familiar with process historians, these are sort of the original time series databases, right? Where yeah. that timestamp is the fundamental sort of aspect of storage in that, you know, taking that data, um, recording the timestamp, either, you know, carried with the data payload from when it was generated or actually timestamping it at the time of reception. And then having like a really compelling, scalable and performant way to sort of keep the order of those events, as well as the sort of distinction of those time series. So, um, you know, having one sensor and having a very precise high granularity stream of the data from that alone, just the telemetry is good because you can see the ups and downs. But as soon as you see that, as soon as you add that timestamp in, you can now sort of understand the rhythm and the cadence of the data, um, you know, either on an individual, uh, you know, data point sort of model, or you can actually start to group and do aggregations and things like that across very precise points of time, or of course, larger windows, or sometimes people call them frames of time uh, to, to understand really what's going on in the operations of your, whatever it is you're monitoring digitally. And that's, that's you know, it's, it's, it's a necess necessity in just about every market, so. Oh, okay. Awesome. Could you perhaps give us uh, some common industrial use cases of a time series database? Oh, sure. I mean, just anytime um, you need to understand the overtime behavior of operations, the change, the shift. Um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in my early days uh, in the sort of digital industry space working with PID loops and that idea of like, you know, having a, a time series input of a sensor reading and having a time series sort of output of a of a, um, you know, a set point value, and then seeing all the, you know, the, the movements through time that are required to sort of get those two values to stick together, um, and understanding how that changes over time because of the physical changes, you know, physics is ruling in the real world, not in the digital world. So, you know, as physics change, as, you know, bearings wear, or, you know, seals go or whatever, the, the data changes and represents that, you know, sort of either decay or even improvements, you know, we see like predictive maintenance, right? I mean, I think that thought of being able to take time series data from assets and sort of make incremental changes to your operations to, you know, better sort of organize or, or you know, do other things with those assets is great. But then to be able to use that stream of historical information about its performance coming in through a time series database, to be able to use the machine learning, the forecasting, the predictions to say, look, like, you know, we're going to need to do this type of maintenance at this point in the future or before this point in the future and having the information needed to send the right technician with the right tools to do the work basically just in time is 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 a really valuable use case that I've seen at customers for the last decade. Oh, okay, that's, that's interesting. So now for those who are looking at putting together an industrial uh, IoT solution, uh, how should they go about uh, planning their IoT data architecture? Uh, are there any factors to consider then? Sure, sure. I mean, I think the, 
the the biggest fear is that you'll always need to rip and replace you know everything you've you've invested into to the point that you decide to digitize or or do the industry 4.0 i think that is always the wrong way to start. I think the the big first step is to go through and do a real survey of what you have, what's been digitized, what can be digitized, what can be integrated, understand um, where normalization has already occurred. Like, are you using OPC UA or are you using OPC DA or does every factory have Kepware or, you know, all of these different to understand really where that last point is for your data in terms of digitization and then build off of that and i think the the important thing to do first and i've seen so many sort of digital transformation projects and industry 4.0 iot projects sort of derail at this point is is that you're not going to be able to build a general purpose solution from there without input from the stakeholders the people on the factory floor or the people in the fleets to understand like what keeps them up at night, you know, if they were on call, what brought them in the last time, um, and and help them figure out how you can do small incremental additions to that uh, digitization strategy, whether it's you know industry or fleet or IoT, um, to solve real use cases because technology for technology's sake, especially when it is potentially disruptive to people operating, you know, assets and equipment um, is is it's a losing proposition. So uh, I, I would encourage everybody to spend a lot of time talking to the stakeholders and understanding what it is they would really want to accomplish to make their lives easier, their job better, and then use technology to, to solve that. Okay, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense now. So uh, now let's talk about the Influx uh, DB database platform itself. Uh, first sure. of all, uh, can you give us an outline of the different flavors and, and services that are offered with the Influx DB? Yeah. So, so first of all, I'm going to caveat all of this in saying I, I just joined uh, Influx back in June. So yeah. I'm still pretty new to the company. Um, I had been keeping an eye on them for a couple of years. I always thought it was really interesting technology, but um you know, I think there's right now, you know, it's the company has, of course, evolved over time. Um, right now, there are three main, um, you know, influx DB products or solutions. The first is the one that's most widely adopted, which is our open source software. Um, so this is a fully capable, fully featured. We actually go one step further than a lot of open source vendors in that we actually package the software as well. So you can you can download a packaged binary that you can just install on any system um, that includes the full featured InfluxDB. Um, it's, a, it's a really great solution, of course, through that open source community. There's tons of extensions and things that you can do there. Um, the second, and I would say the place that we're most focused right now in investing that most investing the most is in our cloud delivered um, solution, which is if you think about the open source model and what we've built there, we've sort of taken that product and then ourselves have, you know, made it cloud native, you know, and so that we can deliver it in a cost effective and highly scalable and highly secure and um, very sort of, uh, you know, scalable distributed model through AWS and Azure and GCP. But, you know, when a customer comes to us and they say, I just need influx data, those are really, or influx DB, those are really the two, the two services. It's like, we will manage it for you, or you can manage it yourself. 
Um, there's a third model, which is the enterprise model. Um, you know, I think enterprises of the IT type, you know, are really not that interested in running their own software on premises and their own um, data centers. But as you guys know, on the industrial side, that's still the way of the world. Um, so we do have that option and that availability. And that, that brings in, um, you know, sort of key concepts of our cloud service, like the, you know, the clustering, the high availability, the disaster recovery, the sort of enterprise management tools uh, that brings that, you know, to the edge or to the, to the customer's data center in a way that, um, you know, they can, they can run it like an enterprise application and uh, get the support and all the things they would need there. Um, but the thing I think is most important to cover um, here is, is that because we're open source, we're finding our way, or actually we're not even finding our way, others are finding a way to integrate our software with their own solutions. And I think like there's a really cool company in Belgium called Factory.io, it's F-A-C-T-R-Y.io. Um, and they've built an industrial process historian right around the InfluxDB core. And of course, they've customized it in all the ways that are required to, you know, make it a, a native part of an OPC uh, or, you know, MQTT type um, network. But it's, uh, it is an industrial historian at its, like, surface. And as you dig deeper and deeper and deeper down, what they've done is they've leveraged the best parts of our capture, our storage engine, and then, of course, our query engine that allows you to, to do all those really interesting time series data analytics. Oh, nice, nice. Maybe just to linger on that uh, a bit, uh, what are the benefits that uh, stick out for each like flavor? Is, is there anything that maybe? Yeah, sure. I mean, OSS, uh, of course, the open source, sorry, is, uh, is of course free and extensible and free is always great, right? Especially when you're starting from scratch and you know you haven't really um, shown a return on investment for the use case. Um, so you can, you know, it's very, very low uh, friction to you know, just download and install it. We also have a Telegraph, which is another open source project that we maintain, which is like a collection agent. It has um, you know, a number of connectors for MQTT and OPC and Modbus, and um, that's also completely open source. So the combination of those two open source components let somebody working in a lab for sort of experimentation's sake, or let's an organization that has the team that required to sort of manage the open source lifecycle of software and you know keep things updated and make sure that the packages are being updated as things happen. You know, organizations that are already industrial organizations that are already using open source can just use open source InfluxDB forever if they want. It it does a lot of amazing things that you know when you compare it to the price of a lot of the other industrial uh, historians, like free is always good. Yeah. Now, <laughs> cloud is not free, largely because we pay somebody else to deliver it. Um, and we're also a business and, you know, we fund our, our innovation and our research and development around both the open source as well as our commercial products through the, the cloud product and the enterprise product as well, but more so the cloud product. Um, but its benefits, of course, are like, it's in the cloud. So if you're if you are ingesting or working with other cloud native services, right? So if your data is coming in through like Azure IoT or AWS IoT, like that product makes a lot of sense because it's 
it's super quick and super easy just to connect up the pipeline and just stream that data into Influx and then run the user interface on top to explore that data and build out your, your, you know, your, your HTTP calls to integrate that data with whatever the larger application is, it's predictive maintenance or, or whatever. Um, but clearly the cloud model, that's where most companies I think are going and where most companies are investing right now. Um, you know, the benefits there are, are, you know, many, <laughs> you know, I think like the, if a company is developing a, um, a new application for the enterprise, whether it's industrial or IT focused, but, you know, it's developing on cloud is cheaper, you know, looking at microservices where you can use microservices and, and all of that is just going to make your services, your solutions far more scalable, of course, more secure, which I know that's a, always a debate in the industrial yeah. world on whether the cloud is more secure. I would challenge everybody to consider when the last time they went to an actual bank was. Um, we do all of our banking online and that's, you know, considering, you know, most people consider that their most secure sort of personal transactions. So all of that's occurring on cloud, um, you know, and the models are there to make cloud very, very, very secure, so. Oh, okay, that's interesting. So uh, I would like to touch, uh, still stay on that. Um, as far as the, the, the migration between these uh, different flavors is concerned, like to, how easy is it? Suppose I'm starting with an open source or I'm starting with the cloud mm -hmm. and I want to go open source. Is there a, a migration mechanism in place that makes it easy to shift from one to the, to the yes. other? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, right now you can always sort of migrate or push, um, you know, data from your open source. If you want to like sort of capture that, um, don't forget, like Influx always allows you to export the data too. So, I mean, it just depends oh. on your volume and how you want to move it. Um, but like, you know, if you've been sort of capturing real-time telemetry streams and you've been doing that on open source and you want to get that stored data into the cloud, uh, you can absolutely do that. Um, you know, and we even have like our technical support and services team is, is oftentimes helping customers with their cloud migrations um, there. But because the the, you know, the database itself is sort of consistent across the versions, but the storage mechanism isn't. When we run InfluxDB in the cloud, um, the way we would store data in a cloud environment is going to be very different than the way you would store data in a server-based environment, right? So there's not exactly perfect swaps, but we're, I mean, we're actively working on making that easier um, and better. Our like our sort of unofficial mantra right now is just like improving time to awesome. So um, like our goal is to be able to make it like the fastest software to get up and running, um, you know, the easiest software to get early value out of. And then, you know, the sort of most expandable ecosystem in terms of our other products and the products of our partners, um, you know, so that you're never sort of waiting on influx data or you're, you're never sort of artificially, uh, you know, governed in a way that, that slows you down as the practitioner. Our goal is just to make everything easier and faster and better. Oh, okay. Awesome. Now, when it comes to the deployment of an influx uh, database uh, mm -hmm. in, in terms of like the physical location, uh, sure. what factors do you, do you think people should consider there to whether they deploy it, uh, is it on, on the edge or or a cloud server, yeah. what factors should people consider then? Yeah, I mean, I think the 
the considerations aren't that different than you would say for any other um, industrial application. I think the the first consideration, of course, is like what your infrastructure looks like. Um, you know, so for example, if your edge as a as a given customer is, you know, a full fledged data closet with like high bandwidth and you know speed uplinks to your 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 cloud or whatever, then there really is no consideration. I mean, just put a server in there, do whatever you want. Um, you know, understanding or assuming that a lot of, um, especially on the industrial side, when you really get way down to the edge, I'm not talking about like the edge, like the sensor or the edge, like the controller, yeah. but maybe like in the electrical panel or, you know, there you, you can, you can run either telegraph um, or influx DB in a very small instance right there. Like we have a Docker container that you could install um, I don't know if you're familiar with Belena, but there are Belena objects and blocks um, for InfluxDB. So you can like literally download it, install it on a Raspberry Pi and run it locally. Um, and the thing I'm looking for, and I'll just, you know, ask your audience to reach out to me directly um, if they're interested is I'm right now I'm looking specifically at, you know, how we sort of make that link between edge data you know, the fog data to use Cisco's term or whatever, that's sort of like data that's stored in the middle at the mm. edge front, maybe. And then, of course, the cloud data, how to make that data um, ecosystem much more transparent, um, you know, so that you don't really have to consider like latency or even um, the costs of sort of replicating and duplicating and having multiple copies of your data across um, those sort of tiers of, of compute. And um, yeah, so I would love, you know, especially on the industrial side uh, mm -hmm. to understand like what the real requirements would be there and what somebody's version of just amazing would be because, you know, I'm, that's my job is to build that stuff so that people can, can do amazing things. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, our, the majority of our audience members, yeah, industrial engineers. So I'm sure they, they, they would have uh, some, some questions there for you. And, and also something that I'm sure they'll be wondering right now is uh, what mechanisms and, and, and protocols are, uh, are available for acquiring industrial data into like InfluxDB database? Sure. Yeah, so we, we make it simple in that we have essentially right now one way to get data in. It's called line protocol. It's a, a very straightforward uh, semantic for streaming time series data. And it basically includes a timestamp, a value like a reading, uh, and then a measurement name and some uh, tags that you could add for like, uh, you know, metadata or other grouping mechanisms and then fields, you know, fields like temperature and things like that. And um, that format, of course, all of our transmission, you know, between Telegraph and, and InfluxDB and then our handling of those, those data points as they come in, having it in that format um, allows us to very, very quickly handle the data, recognize the timestamp and put it into our storage engine, which, I mean, allows, you know, millions of, of, of readings per second um, in most architectures, I would say. Um, you know, so that's the primary method. When you think about that, that's sort of the API or the interchange, the exchange for for InfluxDB, now with Telegraph or with custom scripts or whatever, really it's whatever you want because all you're doing is you're, you're reading, you know, a 
rest endpoint or you're reading, you know, a specific, you know, tag from a OBC system or whatever, and then you're you're pushing that data to us. And there's some formatting there that has to occur. You can Telegraph has a lot of really good handlers already for that. For example, you could take Telegraph, install it, install the OPC add-on or the MQTT add-on. I know HiveMQ has built a Spark Plug B add-on for InfluxDB. Um, you know, and you configure those to connect to your sort of sources. And then Telegraph integrates that, manages the handling, the transformation from, you know, the native digital format from those protocols, and then forwards it on to Influx data inline protocol. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to be doing a lot of work over the next, you know, near term. And then, you know, even after that to, you know, to look at whether or not that's going to be the best model for, for everything, or is it, is there a way that we can build some more sort of native um, integrations with these, with these platforms so that, you know, you don't have to have a couple pieces in the middle. You can just go straight from your industrial application to influx DV. So keep, keep an eye out for, for us innovating there for sure. Oh yeah. We'll certainly do, you know, uh, one, one other thing that I was mentioning this other day was that uh, what I wish the community could come up with is the is the spark plug a B passer for 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 the Telegraph uh, as a plugin, because you know how MQ does have uh, that um, uh, inbuilt extension for their broker, but if 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 we could have like a, a standalone spark plug parser that you could install as yeah. a plugin on on Telegraph, I mean it's open source. So if any of these guys are listening, anyone who's interested in taking that challenge, I think that would be something that would be very valuable to have. You know. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a that's a great idea. I'll put that on the list as well. I mean, we we work with the community regularly, so um, you know maybe I have an influx days presentation coming up on IoT and industrial IoT. Um, it's influx days is our our users conference. It's coming up uh, the second week of October, um, and I'll, I'll maybe I'll put that out to the community to say, come on guys, let's 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 build a, a Spark Plug B connector that works in within Telegraph right? Completely native uh, so that we can just, like you said, parse it and send it. That's that's the, the goal. So good yeah. idea. We'll Absolutely. Quick. Yeah, I'm positive that would be useful for a lot of people out there. Okay, so now, well, in most cases with the, the, the telemetry data, it doesn't come with like contextual information, you know, so yes. how would one go about enriching the, the data that is stored in an InfluxDB database? Sure. Well, you, I mean, you, you've got two choices there. You can certainly do it in flight, right? So, um, you know, you can add or enrich um, with metadata fields, other enrichment fields before you ingest it and before you the data is stored in Influx. The value there is, of course, the queries are, are a, a lot faster and they're precise in that, like, the other model, which would be to do so at sort of query time is you pull a bunch of data and then you run sort of a bunch of side jobs that go out and, you know, query a SQL database or something to find, you know, enrichment fields based on a certain, you know, component of data that you've stored in the, in the time series database. Um, they both have their pros and their cons. Of course, the sort of like late binding stuff is, is uh, very flexible, um, you know, and, and things do change over time. The, the, the pre-write model is good in that, you know, a lot of those fields are, are, part of the the record right you know it's not something that would ever change in the future because like at that time um that particular 
piece of information was coming from an asset that was at this geolocation or a set point was written by this operator number, those types of, of enrichments. So those aren't going to change, but, you know, figure out which ones are, are mutable and which ones are not. And then, uh, yeah, it's either is either is totally possible. We have a, a great, um, like time series uh, analytics language called Flux. It's extensible. Uh, it allows you to connect up not only, of course, to an Influx DB engine, but also to SQL and other, um, you know, engines. And then, you know, you can sort of build queries that take data from Influx and then munge it with data from SQL and do all, all sorts of cool things. And then at that point, you can take action on that data because we've got tasking engine and things like that. So you can actually do things like right back to an MQTT broker and set a topic at a certain um, value based on those analytics that you build in Flux. Nice, nice, interesting. Okay, so now if, if you want to connect your Influx uh, DB database to like a, a dedicated analytics platform, uh, are there any connectivity options there? And, and if so, what, what visualization and then analytics platforms does uh, Influx DB support? Sure. Um, so we, I mean, our platform itself now in the 2.x version is uh, what we would consider end-to-end -end in that like it has its own user interface. I think the thing to consider about the InfluxDB user interface, the, the old, the 1.x chronograph, as well as the new InfluxDB 2.x user interface, is it's really designed for the people who are building applications, right? So it's about exploring the data, understanding the sort of form of the data, the cadence of the data. Um, it's not for building like an application that you would, um, you know, expose to a lot of users through that user interface. Um, the, the great thing is, is that, you know, through our notebooks in that user interface, um, you can, you can see how you would format um, a particular query with one of our software development kits. Um, or you can just, you know, if you're a developer and you understand HTTP calls and things like that, you can use those calls and the resulting data formats to drive um, any type of web or client-based user, user visualization. So we see a lot of people doing things with high charts or D3 um, in their own applications. I think one of the sort of most interesting for me, and I think a very sort of, I would almost say common now user interface in the industrial space, especially on top of Influx is, is Grafana, which is, you know, it's a, it's from another company that uh, developed some open source technology, um, but it's a really great user interface in that you can build dashboards, enterprise style dashboards, not like consumer style, but enterprise style dashboards. And they have, you know, they have a very, uh, you know, a similar community to ours. You know, our community is really focused on the back end. Their community is really focused on the front end. And like that factory IO I mentioned earlier, and and many of the industrial companies that I I, I talk to who are using InfluxDB, they're oftentimes using Grafana as that front end. Um, but that being said, like any front end dashboarding tool that um, you know, wants to work with time series data is generally going to have some type of connectivity. I mean, this goes, I've seen connectors for IoT DSA, which is a, a, a platform from um, Acuity Brands, it's a company formerly, uh, or Acuity Brands bought a company called DG Logic. It's a very sort of like full featured web application development environment. Um, 
you know, I would imagine that most of them have a connector or if they don't, they have some type of way to drive their widgets with, you know, regular HTTP calls and um, then they can just use our, our APIs and our interface to, to do that. Oh, okay, interesting. So, I mean, uh, one of the things that you've already uh, touched on is the, is, is the protocols, your, 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 your Modbus, your, your OPC, but I want to give the audience a, a, a clear picture of exactly how that works out, you know, can you like give us a, a typical uh, like workflow of say you want to get data out of an OPC UA server? What components would you have to put together for that data to end into uh, end up in an influx DB? How, how how does that pipeline look like for you? Sure. Um. So so like anything in technology, there's always like three or four ways to do it. Um. You know, like I said, we have an OPC UA add-on for Telegraph. Um. Know, for a developer who's very familiar with OPC UA and really wants to be able to do anything they want, that's a that's a, a perfectly good model. And then all that does is you configure that add-on to you know hit the specific OPC UA endpoints and and you know capture the tag values and the qualities and things like that. Um, you know, it does not have a sophisticated sort of visual tree browser in the way that you would think from like a lot of the other. Um, you know, so I would almost always. I would imagine developers would be using some other type of OPC UA tool alongside, you know, developing an application within Telegraph because it's very configuration based, um, you know, both for the MQTT as well as the OPC and Modbus. Um, but on the other hand, like we see a lot of companies just using the, the more um, open, not open source, but like open community, OPC UA servers now, like if you look at Kepware, Kepware has, you know, the they have their um, IoT gateway product and, you know, a, a couple other ways. And then, you know, for a customer to be able to say, look, like Kepware is a great platform, you know, Modicon, whatever you're going to use is a great platform for running the drivers to communicate downstream to the different protocols, you know, and like, yes, OPC is 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 now a, a native protocol in a lot of industrial stuff, but we all know that like a lot of time there's that middleware server there that's going to have to do that translation. And then you can use the sort of industrial IoT, the IT integration tools in those products, um, you know, as long as they support, uh, you know, HTTP, which is, you know, a very becoming a very common um, data interchange format. Uh, they can just push that data to directly to our APIs and, and we can access it there. I mean, there's, there's pros and cons to both. Um, you know, I think uh, largely when people start thinking about HTTP as, you know, a, a, a transport for this type of data, they, oh, it's, you know, it is a lot of wrapper for a very low or small payload. I, I totally understand that. And I'm, you know, I, I'm going to try to do my best to have us, resolve that going forward but but honestly like you know our http endpoint supports millions of events per second i don't know like how much faster we could require yeah. there um you know and and when you're smart about sort of like batching and and you know building payloads that are optimized for for ingestion over http like you can do in in, in capware and other servers like that's not going to be your bottleneck um, you know, I think the other thing to look at too is, is like, what do you want to do in the middle? 
right? So if you want to do, like you mentioned earlier, a lot of the, um, the enrichment or the transformations or the, the stream processing of the data in the middle, there are a bunch of really good um, technologies there that you, can, that you can use to do that, to sort of like pre-format, pre-batch, do all the handling of those time series events. Um, but, you know, ultimately you called it a pipeline. It is going to be a pipeline. You're going to have elbows and you're going to have lengths of pipe and you're going to have, yeah. you know, valves and T's and Y's and all of that. Um, but, you know, one thing I think we've learned or I've learned at least uh, over all of this, you know, the last 10 or 12 years in, in trying to help people solve these problems is that there is no one size fits all, especially in the industrial IoT space. So, you know, I would... I would highly recommend anybody who's really looking to make a major investment in technology here also find a consulting or even somebody inside the company who's just like super savvy with tech and super savvy with data um, to really help like define and drive what that pipeline is going to look like. Like, what are you going to run to our earlier conversation on premises? What are you going to run sort of in that in between? What are you going to run in cloud? Um, you know, and they'll have, whether it's an employee or a consultant that you bring in, they'll have experience, they'll have knowledge, expertise on what platforms work exceptionally well together, um, you know, what provides the best reliability, of, of reliability, performance, availability, security, whatever it might be that, that is a requirement for your particular project. But, you know, there's no yet magic industrial data analytics platform in, in a box. Everybody is a, a sort of piece of that larger ecosystem and pipeline. So, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And understanding which pieces to put together is like the most important thing right now. Yeah. It's like Legos, right? I, 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 you know, I say this to customers a lot. It's like Legos, right? I think um, technology companies right now, especially those of us who focus on the developer, you know, we're not the Microsoft, you know, who's making Word, which is a, you know, it's a word processor um, specifically for an end user. But those of us who make developer tools, they're Legos, right? And in the hands of amazing technology, just systems integrators, consultants, those Legos come together and, you know, create models that people just have no idea how that happened, right? Yeah. And it's great. Now, I think a lot of people like, you know, operations managers or whatever, look at that and they say, that's what I want for my factory. But the problem is when we just hand them all a box full of Legos and they look at this amazing model and they look down at this box of Legos, they have no idea how to get from the box of Legos to what they see. Yeah. Now, Lego solves this very effectively in that you can buy a box and that box has a picture of the model on the front. And then inside there's a set of instructions that yeah. leads you on taking all of those blocks and putting them together. Um, you know, and I think there was a, there was an interest maybe like five to seven years ago on like really forming some of these consortiums around interoperability. And you had like the IIoT consortium and the industry yeah, yeah. 4.0 consortium. And I think ultimately the size of the vendors and the fact that they were all commercial software vendors whose primary and really only goal is to make money. That's their company. Yeah. They have shareholders and employees. Um, but I think if you look at like some of the, 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 the more recent stuff, um, you know, the, the companies that are coming together um, are more about like 
telling customers or showing customers how to put together the best of open source and commercial software to solve problems. And I think, um, you know, I've, I've been really excited. I've just been talking a lot recently to the team at um, Belena. I think we talked about them earlier, of course, like we're, we're partners with HiveMQ, um, you know, and I think like the Grafana team is, is, is doing great things around visualization. And so like, I would imagine that, that group of companies sort of focused on the hybrid commercial and open source softwares, we'll be able to put together a package that will say like, look, like you deploy this and you have an edge industrial IoT analytics solution, or you deploy A and B and C, and you now have a cloud to edge sort of hybrid analytics solution. And those, you know, it's kind of like handing somebody the Batmobile, like, you know, yeah. it's just a bunch of Legos put together. And I think, some people just want the Batmobile, but I think right now we're still in a position where a lot of people enjoy putting it together themselves, especially when they can customize it a little bit as they go. Exactly. Yeah, totally agree then. Okay, so now uh, in conclusion, uh, can you tell us uh, uh, more about Influx Data, the the company behind uh, Influx DB? Yeah, sure. I mean, Influx Data was founded a number of years ago. Um, basically to serve and solve the, the time series data problem. Um, and our, our founders, Paul Dex included, um, built you know, sort of the very early versions of, of InfluxDB as open source software. They felt very strongly that starting as open source and staying as open source, to be honest with you, was, was really the best um, path. And so the database, you know, it, it, sort of went viral early on because it did exactly what it was supposed to do. It was easy to download, it was easy to compile and easy to get data in and easy to get data out. And that's, I mean, that's like literally, if you're gonna break it down, that's what people want in the database. Um, you know, and as they, as they built it, of course, you know, you, if you're building a company, you have to understand how to get paying customers. And, you know, so over time, the team has grown. You know, of course, we have a cloud team now who's specifically focused on the cloud. We have an enterprise team is focused on enterprise, but <coughs> excuse me, our open source team is still doing great stuff. Um, like there's, there's all this interest and all this movement right now around, um, some what we're calling IOX. It's it's uh, it's sort of a new time series model based on Apache Arrow and Parquet files and you know some other really cool um, modern data um, governance and and management and all of that. And it's uh, I would keep an eye out for that because like that's as we move into the cloud. Like it's I mean fundamentally it's not going to change the product. The product is going to be exactly what it is today, which is the best time series database that you can get either free or commercially. And, uh, you know, but what it's gonna do is it's gonna just totally change the concepts of scale, um, cardinality and those types of things. So, so yeah, I mean, it's right now, you know, we're just over a hundred people. Um, you know, like, it's like every day I see announcements about new hires, um, you know, we are, pre not pre i well we're pre ipo and that we haven't had an ipo yet but you know we're we're you know late stage i think we had series d funding and um you know the company's healthy and happy and i'm 
I'm super excited to be there. I mean, it's like, a, you know, I, I started on the end user side, then I moved to the systems integrator side, and then I moved to the, you know, vendor side when I went to Splunk. It was much smaller, of course, than Splunk was when I left. But, um, you know, now to get, you know, my feet wet at a really, like a real startup, like somebody who's inventing things and building product to try to, you know, change the way people do business is, is really exciting. Okay, awesome. That's great to hear. Awesome. Okay, so that uh, brings us to the end of this session. Uh, thank you so much for your time and thank you for coming onto the show to share your insights with us. No, thank you. I mean, it's an honor and it's, uh, uh, I really enjoy what you've been putting out there and, you know, thank you and congratulations on sort of like taking the reins to, to really make this stuff consumable for people, which I think is, uh, you know, one of our, our sort of shared goals in terms of the industrial IoT. So glad to be here and anytime. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you. All the best.